Hallelujah, you may be seated. How many have a battle cry today? Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm so thankful to be in the presence of the Lord today with the brothers and sisters who know what it means to follow Jesus, who know what it means to be disciples that make disciples. I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. Then we're going to introduce a special guest and then another special guest. Thank you for coming. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were what? What does it say they were? Fishermen. Thank you. Verse 19, Jesus said, come follow me, and I will place you on a pew, and you will act like you're better than everybody else, and you'll learn to sing your favorite songs from memory. No, what does it say? And I will send you out to fish for people. As the old translation said, I will make you a fisher of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Hallelujah. What a joy it is to leave everything behind and follow Jesus. What a joy it is to be in the call of the master, to learn the father's business, to do what he does, to say what he says, to go where he goes. Can I get an amen? If you're happy to be a fisher of men. It's more than just hype around here. It's a lifestyle. It's what we believe in and what we live. As a pastor, people continually compare me as a cult leader because they don't know too many churches that expect everybody to go out and do street ministry except the cults. That's the reputation we have gotten in this day and age. I remember standing out here with the Bible preaching, and a pastor who used to be right down the road came by and called up my friend and said, what's going on with Joe? He's standing out there on the corner with the Bible. Has he joined a cult? And that brother had to say to him, no, man, he's not joined a cult. He's doing what Jesus taught him to do. Brothers and sisters, it may not always be acceptable in our culture to be a fisher of men. People may want to push on you the idea that tolerance means acceptance and applauding of their sin. And therefore, when you come to convert them or to bring them to the truth, because the Bible actually says when you convert a sinner to the truth, you have saved their soul. And another place in Proverbs says, he who wins souls is wise. And they may mock you for that. Have you come to convert me? Have you come to win a lost soul? And you ought to look them right in the eyes with a heart of compassion and say, yes, I have in the name of Jesus. I want to win you for the Lord. I want to convert you from your errors. It shouldn't be a byword to believe today that your truth is the only truth. What do you guys think? You're the only ones? Yes, we believe we're the only ones, but Jesus so loved the whole world that everyone can become one of the only ones, one of the chosen in Jesus' name. But the only ones that are going in, the only ones who are going to be welcomed into heaven are those who have received him. Amen? And so for us, it's a lifestyle. And I hope that yesterday, our first day, was a great time out there on the streets. How many had a good time? Amen? Close to 100 of us marching out there, 
two different buses singing hymns on the way there, chants, rallies there on the street, and we're going to do that again before we divide up rallies before and after. But I want you to hear my heart today that what you do on these streets should overflow into your jobs, into your families, into your communities and your life groups. Amen? I want to make sure that I welcome everyone here today, if this is your first time with us. How many of you is just your first time on the outreach? You weren't here with us yesterday. Don't be shy. Okay, we have a couple firsties. Let's give it up for them. The rookies, be nice to them out there. But... They're not new to this. I can recognize some street winners, uh, street soldiers, some soldiers of the Lord. But how many once again had a good time yesterday? Amen. So we'll be doing the same exact thing, but Lauren will repeat it because repetition is the way that we learn around here. But before I introduce our guest speaker, I want to introduce who's going to be our guest speaker tomorrow, the one, the only, the legend, Scott Hinkle. Man of God, would you come up? Chicago, would you welcome Scott Hinkle? 71 years young, from a Jewish background, heroin shooting, gave his heart to Jesus. Now I'm preaching his testimony. Man of God, would you greet the people? Give them a little taste of what they'll get tomorrow. Wow. I want you to look at the person next to you and say, you're armed and dangerous. Look, let me just say this. I'm going to save all of my firepower for the morning, but I came here to, to, to plug in for a little bit with you. When Jesus changed my life, I knew absolutely nothing about Christianity. I'm Jewish. I was a heroin addict. I'm from New Jersey. I hope you won't hold that against me. I was thrown out of the state of New Jersey on narcotics charges. But one day I met a man that had Jesus in his life. See, those are the days when they would greet most weird-looking people in the back of most churches with a pair of scissors and a can of Lysol. And they'd tell them, boy, you need to get shaved before you get saved. But I saw somebody that day that had Jesus in their life, wasn't afraid to show it, and I wanted what he had. He didn't beat me up with a 500-pound family Bible, although it might have helped. But I sensed the presence of Jesus in his life. I sat in the front seat of a 1969 red and white Malibu Super Sports Chevy. Ah, some people know about that car. And as I sat there, I bowed my head. I did not know that I needed to pray a prayer. How many of you know sometimes God will do things out of the norm? But I sat in the front seat of that car, bowed my head, and cried out in my heart silently, God, if you can do everything this man's talking about, then go on ahead and do it. Jesus, since you were the gutter, I've been in the gutter. I have no more options. How many of you were at a place in your life when you had no more options when you called on Jesus, no matter what the situation was? Immediately, I felt like somebody came in on the inside of me. All I could imagine was a guy in painter coveralls with a little scrub brush and a hose cleaning me out from the inside. I felt like somebody pulled a plug, you know, like my big toe, because all the garbage and crud drained out. Then I did something crazy. I started to tell people what had happened in my life. In 90 minutes, 
I've never been to church. I hadn't even seen it. He gave me a, an amplified New Testament. I didn't know what the book was for three days. I knew it was a good book till I finally opened it and realized it was a Bible. <laughs> but I started to tell people what Jesus can do. My life slogan is Jesus Christ will change your life. And Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Man, you are going fishing this weekend. And I commend you. I am excited. I am fired up. And I am praying for a mighty outpouring of the Holy Ghost. People getting saved, delivered, set free. Who knows? You may run into people you know. That's always crazy. Man, I was preaching one time on a street corner in Mardi Gras, New Orleans. All of a sudden, I heard my name. I turned. It was somebody I'd partied with in high school. They said, Scott Hankel, I thought you were dead. I said, the guy you knew is. He just kept talking about Jesus. I want to give you my... I want to give you my life verse and then give it back to Pastor. It's Acts 20, 23, 24, 20. You know, I can't even remember the. I'm going to tell you what it is, though. My life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. How many of you feel like God's called you to preach the gospel? Not just on a street corner, but that is your life. Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And that's what we're doing. We are following Jesus and we're going to a big fishing hole called Lollapalooza. And the devil gathers a crowd and we turn it into a congregation. But you know, there might be some Young man and young lady here today, down in the depths of your heart, you know that God has called you to preach the gospel as what you're to do for the rest of your life. And I normally wouldn't do this in a little introduction like this. But if that's you, everybody close your eyes for a moment. And if I've just identified, you know, maybe you're very quiet. I'm an introvert by nature. And God paid no attention to my natural wiring. But you know that in the depths of your heart, God has called you to preach the gospel. No one else is looking around. But if I've just spoken to you, would you put your right hand in the air? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You can put those down. There's hope for America because of men and women like you, young and old. Jesus, I thank you. Lord, if I don't do anything else this weekend, this is, this is the right thing. God, I thank you for, for your call. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your leading. I thank you for your protection. I thank you for your provision. Father, I thank you that you are raising up men and women who will declare that we will all share our faith. But God, you are raising up voices that will not be silent. Just as 
Father, thank you for that. Who will rise up for me against the wicked? Who will take a stand for me against evildoers? Unless the Lord had been my help, my soul would have settled in silence. There'll be no soul, soul settled in silence. That was Psalm 94, verses 16 and 17. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you. I thank you. I just pray your hand upon them. Father, even after this night when their head is on the pillow, God, that you would speak to their heart and their life and their spirit. Father, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. I look forward to tomorrow. Pastor Joe, thank you. Wow. Wow. Amen. His verse was Acts 20, 24. Now you, now you know why sometimes I forget things. Preachers, we got a lot on our mind. Amen. And so make sure that if you have friends that are not here right now, let, let them know to be here tomorrow at 10 o'clock. Amen. In this attitude of uh, just a presence of the Lord, can we give it up for Pastor Jared all the way from Metro Praise Dallas? Thank you. Thank you for that introduction. Glory to God. Tonight, I want to teach you how to evangelize. Amen. Because I am under the belief that everyone who is a Christian can evangelize, and everyone who is a Christian should evangelize. Evangelism is for everyone. The Great Commission is for everyone. The mandate of Jesus to go and preach the gospel to all creation is for everyone, not just the chosen few, not just the seminarians, not just the educated, not just those with titles, not just the man on the stage. Are y'all listening? This is for everyone. And evangelism is simple. I want you to know that you can do it. Amen? Amen. You can do it, like a, like a wise man once said. Evangelism is so simple because evangelism is just doing one thing. Everyone say one thing. It's preaching the gospel. Evangelism is preaching the gospel, nothing more, nothing less. You can add a soup and a sandwich to it, but if you don't tell the gospel story, then you're not evangelizing. You're just doing charity. You get me? So we must open our mouth and proclaim, communicate the gospel because that is, in essence, what evangelism is. Let me make it even simpler for you, okay? First off, evangelism is preaching the gospel, and the gospel is this. It is telling the story of Jesus. Come on, somebody. Evangelism is telling the story of Jesus. And I'm going to give you the title up front. It is this. I love to tell the story. Anybody know that old spiritual? Any old timers know this one? I love to tell the story. Twill be my theme in glory. To tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. That's what we're here doing tonight, amen? We're going to tell Lollapalooza. We're going to tell downtown Chicago. We're going to tell Grant Park the story of Jesus and his love, that story that is as old as time, because truly he is the ancient of days, and all of history is truly his story, amen? And we're just bit players. See, it's not about your story and my story. So much of modern evangelism has been reduced to that, and so much of ministry has been reduced to sitting down with somebody, hearing about their hurt, hearing about their pain, and before you know it, you're reduced to the street psychologist, 
You might as well have a couch out there on the sidewalk. Come, tell me. Tell me where it started. Tell me your church hurt. Tell me your dad hurt. I got a prophetic word for you. Amen? I got the word of the Lord for you. I got a story to tell you. I got a cure. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other. Jesus is the way. Amen? See, Jesus is the most important person in this universe. Do you believe that? Everybody has to do something about Jesus Christ. That's what the old Baptist preacher Vance Havner once said. And I'm going to say it again. Everyone on earth must do something about Jesus Christ. In John 8, verse 24, Jesus said to the Jews, If you don't believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Everyone has to answer the Jesus question, and everyone's got to get it right. He says, if you don't believe that I am who I claim to be, the Son of God, God in the flesh, God incarnate, the Savior of the world, the Lord of glory, if you get that wrong, if you think I'm just a good teacher, you're dead wrong. If you think I'm just a mere prophet like Islam teaches, you're dead wrong. If you think I'm the brother of Lucifer as the Mormons teach, you're dead wrong. Are you listening? Emphasis on dead wrong. You are still dead in your sins and transgressions. Unless that you believe and have faith in your heart that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead. Jesus is the most important person in this whole universe. His death and resurrection, the most significant events in all history. The most important, more important than 9-11, more important than this or that election victory, who became president, is Jesus' death and resurrection. So important that Paul said in Colossians chapter 1, verse 20, that God is reconciling to himself all things, whether things in heaven or on earth, by the blood of the cross, by the peace that the blood of the cross brings. That's how important. Everything hinges on the death and resurrection of Jesus. If Jesus ain't died and resurrected, this life is meaningless. We might as well be nihilists. We might as well eat and drink or tomorrow we die and give in to all our base urges uh, uh, to, to rape and steal and kill and abuse drugs. Are you listening? Life is meaningless. We're meaningless. If Jesus has not died and raised again, nothing is true. So we must all do something about Jesus Christ. And that, again, is the essence of the gospel. It is to tell the story of Jesus. Let me make it very practical for you. If you had someone in front of you on the sidewalk tonight, we just saw a group of men start brawling out of nowhere, didn't we, honey? Just a group of guys. They were talking one minute. Next second, they're having WrestleMania. And you never know, man. Gunshots could erupt. So we, we skedaddled down the block a little bit. But somebody could get stabbed. Imagine that. You see somebody bleeding out and you know their chances don't look good. They got 30 seconds before they enter eternity. What do you tell them about Jesus, 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 Jesus? He is the only one who can save them. And truly, that is the position you're in. Oftentimes, in most evangelistic encounters, you only have a few moments before somebody gets carried off to the next thing. What do you tell them? What do you leave them with? What is the seed that you plant in their heart to know that they must reckon with the Lord of glory, Jesus Christ?
Watchman Nee, the great Chinese missionary and prisoner for the Lord, on a note that was found on his deathbed, wrote this, Christ is the Son of God. He died to atone for men's sins, and after three days rose again. This is the most important fact in the universe. I die believing in Christ. What a wonderful thing to be able to say, I die believing in Christ. So many people we're meeting out there will die perishing apart from faith in Christ. We must tell the story of Jesus and his love. Amen? So let me make it even plainer for you, if I can. Evangelism is what? Preaching the gospel. Preaching the gospel is what? Telling the story of Jesus. Now let's break down the story of Jesus for a moment, shall we? It is three things. Number one, who Jesus is, what Jesus did, and how we must respond. Amen? I'm going to say that again. Who Jesus is, what Jesus did, and how we must respond. Number one, who Jesus is. We do not have time to get into a discussion of the the hypostatic union, the fact that Jesus is fully God and fully man. Many of the early creeds and councils of the church grappled with how can God become a man and become in the flesh like us. But let me simply state that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the second person of the Trinity. He is God incarnate. That means He is God who has come in the flesh. Uh, John 1.14 says that the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, and we have beheld His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the most important person in the universe. He's not just another prophet. He's not just another teacher. He's not just another religious leader. As I have said again and again, everybody on earth has to do something about Jesus. The scriptures tell us that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So I, so I tell folks that is often the theme of my preaching. You're going to meet my Jesus one day. You may not believe him now, but you will one day. Come on, somebody. There might be an atheist out there. There might be Bill Maher or somebody like that. He's going to believe Jesus just as much as I do on the day he meets him. Are y'all listening? And, and, and so we must confront people with that. Jesus is the one with whom you must deal with. He's the son of God. He's the king. He's the judge. We're not going to be judged by society. We're not going to be judged by family. We're not going to be judged by our conscience and how we feel about ourselves. We will be judged by the word of Jesus. That's what he said. John 12, 49, look it up. Because he's the man. So the first part of the story is who Jesus is. The hero, the protagonist of the story. He's the main character. He's the focus. And let me just say, there are a lot of different things we can talk about when engaging somebody, having a gospel conversation. We can talk about evolution. We can talk about the problem of evil and suffering and, and try to answer everybody's questions. Those can be good things, but we need to be mindful of when they become distractions. As I had said, we often have precious few seconds Many times 
to tell somebody the good news. We need to tell them the gospel because the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. What is the power of God? It's the gospel. It's not your opinions. It's not your winsomeness. It's not the twinkle in your eye and the way you smile at people. It's not how you made them feel. It is the gospel. And the gospel is what? The story of Jesus. Then we talk about what Jesus did. And let's go to the scriptures here. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 3. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 3. What Jesus did. He died and rose again. Now for our purposes, we could go to the virgin birth and, and, and talk about his ministry and all these things. But we need to focus on what is essential for right now. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1 says... Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preach to you, which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. So Paul introduces his thought by reminding them of the gospel, the good news that he himself had preached to them, the gospel that they heard, that they believed, that brought about their salvation, and he urges them to hold firmly to the gospel. So it is even necessary for you, Christian, to continue in the word and to continue to believe these truths and hold them to your heart. Amen? Amen. He goes on in verse 3. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. I'm going to stop right there. Paul goes on to talk about all of the eyewitnesses. He says more than 500 people living in that day had seen the risen Lord of glory. But what we want to talk about is that of first importance. That he died for our sins according to the scriptures. His death was an offering of atonement for fallen sinful mankind. For the wicked things that you and I and every person on planet earth has done. Jesus provides his life. As the perfect offering, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb without stain or wrinkle or any blemish. Amen? Because He was a man like us, but He was without sin. And He's the Son of God. When I think about what the Father gave on the cross, think about this. In order to save us, I don't think there was any other way. Let me just say that. I don't think there was any other way to redeem lost man than for the father to send his son. But let's suppose there was. Let's say God just, out of his omnipotent power, made a helicopter to just, you know, to swoop in and, 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 and steal you out of this world or something. You know, God made this whole world by the word of his power, you know. He can do anything. But when God gave his son... He gave the only thing that cost him something. He gave his very best when he gave his son. He gave what was matchless, what was irreplaceable for lost humanity. 
That was the only place that could redeem us. So he died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that is literally hundreds of prophecies in your Old Testament. I'm talking Genesis through Malachi, the parts of the Bible many Christians don't read, but you need to get familiar. Amen? Because that's what the apostles preached from. They didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They had the Old Testament scriptures. Those prophecies painted a clear picture of the suffering, the rejection, the death, and the resurrection of the Messiah. Praise be to God. And it says he rose again according to the scriptures. We make much of his death on the cross, but let us make that much more of his resurrection, which vindicates him that he conquered death, hell, and the grave. And the life that he lives, he lives to God. And the life that he lives, we get to live with him if we have faith in him. Praise be to the Lord. All of this in accordance with the scriptures. So once again, evangelism is preaching the gospel. Preaching the gospel is telling the story of Jesus. Telling the story of Jesus means talking about who Jesus is, the Son of God. Talking about what Jesus did. He died and rose again. And then how he, and then and now how we must respond, amen. How we must respond, and I have two words for you: repent and believe. Repent and believe, brother. If you could turn to Acts, chapter three and verse nineteen. Look at this wonderful invitation. It has been said that repent is the first word of the gospel. It's the first word. They were the first words of Jesus' public ministry. The first words of John the Baptist. The first words of the apostles on the day of Pentecost. Look at this. Repent then and turn to God that your sins may be wiped out. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord. This is the invitation. This is not doom and gloom. The call to repent is a call to get out of the slop of this world, get out of the path of destruction, get out of the bottle of a booze bo- the bottom of a booze bottle, get out of a stranger's bed, get out of the psychiatrist's couch, get out of your broken, messed up, sin wrecked life, and come to the king's banquet. Come on, repent. Turn from your evil deeds. Turn to the Lord. He will graciously pardon you. And the second part is believe. I cannot stress this enough. That grace comes to us through faith. We obtain the grace of God. We obtain the gift of salvation. Not by our works. Because our works would never be enough. Our good can never outdo our evil. But through the empty hand of faith that says, Jesus, I believe you, will you save a sinner like me? In Ephesians 2, verse 8, Paul says, It is by grace you have been saved and not of works. It is the gift of God and not by works so that no one can boast. So we can't say we saved ourselves. If Jesus didn't come to save us, we would be forever lost. Some people say, why does your Jesus send people to hell? I said, listen, he came to save you from hell. You are already going there. He did not come to condemn the world, but that the world may be saved through him. So when we hear the story of Jesus, the Bible says hearing faith 
comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. That's why it's so imperative that you open your mouth and tell people the story of Jesus. Because when they hear it, faith kindles within their heart. A seed is planted that can grow into a garden that will bloom forever. Bless the holy name of Jesus. When they hear it, they do have a choice to reject it. I believe in free will. But that faith is there. And when they respond, when they open their mouth and confess Jesus is Lord, when they confess their sins to Him, the Bible says that the Lord will save all who call upon His name. That Jesus will save all who call on His name. Let's all stand up. And that is the part where you and I get to be in His story. It's not about you. You're not the main character, nor is the person you're talking to. Make it about Jesus. And then you get to be in His story, the greatest story ever told. Amen. I want to look at this passage in closing. John 12, 32. John 12, 32. Jesus says, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. So when he's lifted up on the cross, that there is that sense he's coming up from the earth and, and he's, he's up on that piece of wood, right, hanging, and you got to crane your neck and look up to see him, lifted up in that sense. But Jesus also means lifted up as an exalted. Because the Bible says, he endured the cross, scorning its shame for the, jo for the joy set before him. Amen? So he's not looking at this as his hour of shame, but as his hour of glory. And I, when I am lifted up, you think you're lifting me up as an object of derision? No, I'm being lifted up as the object of worship for the whole universe. And now when we exalt Jesus, when we lift up Jesus, come on, I want to see I want to see, come on, I want to see Jesus lifted high. I want to see, I want to see, I want to see Jesus lifted high. I want to see, I want to see, I want to see Jesus lifted high. Come on, somebody. And when you do, he will draw men to himself. So today, tomorrow, every day after and everywhere you go, lift up the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. And watch what God will do. Shingarai, shingarai. Come on, we got a few moments here. Let's pray in the Holy Ghost. Shovel. Let's lift up the name of Jesus. If you just want to speak the name of Jesus. If you want to call out his titles, Messiah, Lord, Prince of Peace. We want to lift up his name here before we lift him up out there. We lift up the name of Jesus. Shingana Namas.